Good morning, church family. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be back with you again. Um, a couple years ago when I took uh, uh, my leave of absence and I took about 10 months off, um, I, uh, I journaled. Um, I journaled over 250 pages, actually. Um, and, uh, and what I've done is actually I've gotten into this habit of going back to um, the journal and reading what I wrote. Um, every six months or so, I've been doing this. And uh, in the last couple of weeks while I was away, uh, I, I took some time to do that. And, uh, and, and, and here's the thing that I found interesting. Um, just a couple quick entries. This, uh, this is September uh, 7th. Um, reflections. Be still before the Lord. Wait for Him. I am being called to a season of waiting and listening. He knows my future. And in his time, God will reveal it. So speak, Lord. I'm listening. Um, jump all the way to November, November 6th. Uh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, uh, which was actually a prayer throughout um, that time um, that I was away. And then I also wrote, be still before the Lord and wait Wait patiently for him. Uh, one more. Um, this is from um, December, uh, December 2nd. Um, in silence, my soul waits for you, you alone, God. From you alone comes my salvation. That was actually Psalm 62. One. Uh, uh, a major theme developed throughout that time, about 10 months or so, there was this theme of wait on the Lord, be patient, listen, wait on the Lord. I was also during this time that I quickly realized that many of you know, which is I wasn't very good at waiting on the Lord. It's one of the most difficult commands in all of scripture this this command for god to say over and over again wait on the lord wait on the lord why because often what happens during seasons of waiting and i'm just going to speak for myself is it exposes my unbelief see it's during seasons of waiting that that there's there's sort of this clarity that comes over me of what i what i really believe versus what i say i believe or what I pretend to believe, or maybe for some of us, what we were taught as a child to believe and never fully embraces. Seasons of waiting has this way of exposing our unbelief and also has this way of revealing our bitterness, magnifying our weakness, and yes, sometimes amplifying our pain. There is nothing more confusing, more painful, more troubling than waiting on the Lord. Can anybody relate? Now, the challenge is this, though, church. The challenge is, of course, that the entire Christian life is one of waiting. <laughs> it's one of waiting. Problem is we only focus on it like once a year, right? During season of Advent. Advent. See, the essence of the Christian life is that we wait in this tension of the already and the not yet. Jesus has already defeated Satan, sin, and death, hallelujah, but he has not yet 
return to make all things new, which means that we still live in a world filled with brokenness and sin, evil, injustice, death, and disease. I don't know about you, but I find myself these days praying this, come quickly, Lord. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. This world is not my home. Don't wait any long. Come quickly, Lord. It's the only thing that keeps me from despair this side of heaven. The only thing that motivates me to fight injustice, to endure, and to wait on the Lord is the truth that Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death and will one day return to establish perfect justice, end all evil, and make all things new. That is the anchor for my hope. Can I get an amen? But in the meantime, we live in what Richard Rohr in his book, Everything Belongs, called the liminal space. The liminal space. From Latin word limina, which means threshold. Threshold. And this is what Richard Rohr says. Liminal space, the place of waiting, is a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. It is when you've left the tried and true, but have not been able to replace it with anything else. It's when you are between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. And then he says this, and you'll see this on the screen. If you are not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run. Anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. You will run anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. I'm wondering this morning if any of you could relate to the temptation to run during seasons of waiting. Because it was really hard to live with ambiguity. It was really hard to hold anxiety. It was really hard to live with unknowing. I've run and I've got scars to prove it. Maybe you do too. How is this relevant? You realize that this whole pandemic is one big test for how we're all willing to wait. And I'm not just talking about waiting longer in grocery stores. No, we're waiting for the economy to open. We are waiting for vaccines to be developed. We're waiting to be physically, be with our friends and our family. And as what we're seeing is this, not willing to wait has catastrophic consequences. And what if I told you that the same is true in the spiritual realm? So what are you waiting on God for? Maybe you're waiting for justice to be done in a world filled with injustice. Maybe you're waiting for God to answer that prayer that you've prayed for weeks and months and maybe years. Maybe you're waiting for a job opportunity that is yet to come, direction and clarity for the future. Maybe some of us are waiting for that prolonged season of singleness to come to an end. When, Lord, maybe some of us are waiting as we go through another round of IV treatment for a child, have a family. Or maybe someone's just waiting for healing physically or to a relationship that's broken. Nothing more difficult than waiting. Now here's the good news. <laughs> and there is some good news. The good news and the truth that we're going to come around 
for the next couple weeks is this, that it's uncomfortable, it's anxiety-provoking, it's faith-challenging, it's waiting on God is, I'm going to tell you something, God does some of his deepest and most powerful work in us during these seasons of waiting that God could not do in other seasons. When you wait, your situation may not change, but you will. To us, waiting is often wasting, but to God, waiting and the Lord is working. Working. You know, I'm reading through the book of Deuteronomy, and I see that when the Israelites, you remember, when they set out for the promised land, do you remember that God led them through a, a circuitous route through the wilderness because there was work that needed to be done in them. And by the way, do you realize it was a journey that only took, it should have only taken a matter of a few weeks, but it took 40 years. 40 years. Some of us have had to learn the same lesson. Eight. 10, 15, 20 times. So God goes, yep, another lap through the wilderness. Here we go. Why does God do that? I'll tell you why. Because God is way more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He is way more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. Waiting in the wilderness always has a purpose, child of God. The way to the promised land is always through, not around, through the wilderness. You can't get to the promised land without going through the desert. Waiting. Waiting. I'm going to talk about waiting, and to do that, we are actually going way back to the book of Habakkuk. I was talking to Constance this morning and saying, it's been three months, three months since we've been in the book of Habakkuk. Remember, four months ago, we launched a series, Redeeming the Times. We we're going to walk through the book of Habakkuk. And then we took this long extended break to rightly so talk about living justly, right? But we're going we're gonna to come back to the book of Habakkuk. And, and, and what I want to do today is this, I, I, and, and some of y'all, like, you hate it when I do a lengthy review, you know, like, man, you preach long enough as it is, can you shorten the review? Well, today, I need to do a little bit of a review, because there are people listening to this that weren't part of that sermon series, and many of y'all who forgot, and so what I want to do is kind of catch us up as we come to chapter two and move forward. Now, a book of Habakkuk, as you're turning there, by the way, if you don't know where that is, like, start in Matthew and go back like four or five books to the left, okay, in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. We don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. And by the way, that's the whole point. What do I mean? The message is always greater than the man. The message is always greater than the man. I just want to speak briefly to future preachers or future kingdom workers. Isaiah 66, 2 says, My hands have made both heaven and earth, they and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. To God, it's never been about your ability. It's the other A word. But availability. 
God once changed the world with a group of oppressed, marginalized, uneducated nobodies who were completely sold out to him. And I believe that God can do that again. I love 2 Chronicles 16.9 where God says, I, I, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Don't you love that imagery? God's eyes are searching, seeking the whole world, looking for men and women who are totally and utterly surrendered, committed, submitted to him. Habakkuk. He lives 586 years before Jesus. He lives during the final days of Judah, Israel's southern kingdom. He's a he is actually a, a, a contemporary of prophets Zephaniah and Jeremiah. And here's the context. Under the leadership of one of the most corrupt, inept kings in the history of Israel, his name is Jehoiakim, the nation is in complete disarray spiritually, morally, culturally, economically, in every way. There is idolatry, violence, injustice, suffering, Everywhere, and Habakkuk gives a bleak picture of the country in chapter 3. A country in societal starvation level. Life is incredibly hard for the people of Israel. So one of the main central themes of this book is, what does it mean to live by faith during trying times? When there is so much suffering, hardship, and injustice. What does it mean to wait on the Lord when God seems silent, when God seems distant, when God seems... Absent. One other quick thing. Prophets, most prophets, spoke to the people for God. Habakkuk is this interesting book in which he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. It's a very intimate book, a dialogue between a prophet who is troubled by what he sees and his Yahweh, his God. The book is divided along the following, chapter 1, is Habakkuk's worrying as he sees the state of his country. Chapter 2 is Habakkuk's waiting. And chapter 3 is Habakkuk's worshiping. Now we're going to be in chapter 2, but chapter 1. The book begins with Habakkuk asking questions that we've all asked. Habakkuk begins, chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet saying, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law, the law of God is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You, sometimes, you know, the Bible is written in ancient times, thousands of years ago, no relevance today. Can you think of more relevant words? God, how, how long are you, allow, are you going to allow racial injustice to wreak havoc on innocent people? God, 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 why are you allowing so 170,000 people dead, dying, more to come? Why, why are you allowing so much suffering and death? God, why do the righteous suffer while the wicked and the unrighteous seem to prosper. Or maybe, maybe, you're asking personal questions. Like, God, 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 why? Why would you allow such an incredible person to die? God, God, why? Why won't you just heal him or heal her? You know, you have the power to. 
God, God, why is my marriage crumbling when I've tried and I've given everything that I possibly can to make this work? God, God, why is my son enslaved to drugs when me and my wife did our best to raise our children in a godly home? God, why, why am I still in bondage to pornography when I've given this to you again and again and again and again? God, God, why? How long will you remain silent when I'm losing my job, God, when I'm losing my business that I've worked so hard for, when my house is foreclosing, when I can't pay my rent and I can't provide for my family. God, why? God, how long? How long, God? Can you relate? Well, God answers Habakkuk in verses 5 to 11, which we won't look at. Here's the summary. God essentially says to Habakkuk, I need you to sit down for this, okay? I need you to sit down. Because essentially God says, God, God says to Habakkuk, here's my plan, okay? So here's my plan. I'm going to use Babylon, a nation more wicked, even more unjust, even more idolaters than Israel to bring about Israel's salvation and redemption. That, that is what I'm going to do, which prompts Habakkuk, of course, to question God again. And his question's, Go something like this. God, I completely don't get it. How can you possibly bring about good from evil? How can you possibly bring about justice out of injustice? God, God, how can you possibly bring about light out of darkness and, and salvation from judgment? Again, maybe you're asking the same questions today as you look at your life and as you look at the world around us. And here's the thing. To answer that question, we don't go to anywhere else. To answer that question, we ask, was there a time when God brought good out of evil? Was there a time when God brought justice out of injustice? Was there a time when God used darkness to bring light and judgment to bring salvation? And church, the answer is what? The answer is yes, a thousand times yes. Where? On the cross. On the cross. On the cross, God took the most unjust, wicked, evil act in the history of the world, the killing of the innocent Son of Man, the Son of God. And listen, without diminishing the evil and injustice, and without minimizing the evil and injustice, God brought about salvation, redemption for the world, and for you, and for me. So if you're someone wondering this morning, how can I possibly sure that God can take this pain? God can take this hurt. God can take this evil done to me, this sin committed against me, this injustice perpetrated against me and do anything. How can I possibly be sure, Peter, that what I have gone through, what I am going through, and what I will go through is not for nothing, but will somehow be used by God to bring about glory to himself, good to me, and salvation for somebody out in the world? You can be sure because of the cross. Because of the cross, you and I could say, as Joseph did to his brothers, what you meant for evil, our God meant 
for good. Like God meant for good. Well, Habakkuk launches second complaint because he doesn't have the perspective that we do. He doesn't live on the other side of the cross. Let me just stop here and say this. Some of us, even if we live on the other side of the cross, it doesn't matter if you take advantage. It doesn't matter if you have the vantage point that Habakkuk didn't if you and I don't use it on our hearts every single day. Every single day. After he launches a second complaint, this is what Habakkuk does. Chapter 2, Habakkuk's waiting. Verse 1, I will climb to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Please do not confuse waiting with passivity. Remember Psalm 130? Psalm 130. We wait with the kind of anticipation a night watchman feels as he waits for the morning sun to signal the end of his watch. No matter how many hours of darkness he has to wait through, somebody needs to hear this, no matter how many hours of darkness you have to wait through, no matter how many hours of darkness that someone you love has to wait through, Habakkuk knows from experiences, just like the watchman, that the morning will come. So every fiber of his being, the watchman leans, anticipates for the coming of the Lord. Waiting contains a seed of expectancy, church, and hope, which also means that you are vulnerable to bitterness and despair if God does not come through on your timetable. To wait you have to hold on to the reality that God is good, that God is sovereign. You have to trust that God is for you, child of God, and that he is with you. There's another thing here I just want to spend a couple minutes highlighting because it's, it's so powerful, it's so powerful. You notice Habakkuk has made his case and complaint known to God. But then what does he do in waiting? In waiting, he positions himself to what? To Listen, did you notice that? I stand and he says, I wait to see what the Lord, what? Says and how he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk knows that Yahweh is not mute or distant or dismissive or detached from his creation. He knows it is God cares. He sees Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard of their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of of their suffering. We have a God who sees, who knows, who cares. Is that good news? Yes. And we also have a God who speaks. He speaks. He speaks through people. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. But the primary that He speaks is this, through His written Word. Hello, somebody. He speaks through his word. This is God's self-revelation of himself. There are over 783,000 words breathed out by God. He speaks through his word. 
We silence God's voice in our lives when we leave the Bible on our shelf. Listen, complaining about God being silent when your Bible is closed is like complaining about not getting text when your phone is turned off. Is your phone turned off? You go, well, 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 why is this important for waiting, Peter? I'll tell you why. The Bible's got self-revelation of who he is and how he's acted in history. So this is what this means. Whatever you're going through, if you do not know and reflect on how God has acted in the past, you will not experience him in the present and you will not trust him for your future. Let me say that again. If you do not know and reflect on how God has acted in the past, you will not experience him in the present and you will not trust him for your future. God speaks powerfully to anyone who will listen. And the tragedy is that if we don't position ourselves to hear God's voice, we will run the risk of missing God's answer. What a tragedy it will be for God to know our hearts because we've cried out to him for us, but for us to miss God's heart because we didn't take time to listen and to hear his voice. Verse 2, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for an appointed time. Everybody say, appointed time. One more time, in your own homes, appointed time. We're going to come back to that. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place and it will not be delayed. God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I've heard your cries, and I'm going to do something. By the way, rest of chapter 2 is God giving series of woes to the nation of Babylon. God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I will meet our perfect justice. I will bring evil to an end. Babylon will get what they deserve. But God says that's going to happen, what? at the appointed time. Let me teach you a Hebrew word this morning. The word for appointed time is a Hebrew word, moed. Everybody say moed. Moed. you know what moed means? Moed literally means the unstoppable timing of God. Man, that's so cool. Moed, the unstoppable timing of God. You know what that means? That means if it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it's God's time, you can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can stop it. So I don't know what you're waiting for. And God's saying to you and me, I hear your cries. I see your suffering. I'm aware of your situation. And I am at work, child. I'm at work to bring about my perfect and good will for your life at the Moed. And when it comes, there's nothing you can do to force it. And nothing you can do to stop it. Which means, verse 4, that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous don't live by results. 
The righteous don't live by outcome. The righteous live by faith and not by sight. Do you know what the difference is? Sight says, God, if you're there, God, if you're in control, God, if you can save me, please do. Faith, on the other hand, says, God, I know you're there, even though I can't feel you right now. Faith says, God, I know you are good, even though circumstances shout otherwise. Faith says, God, I know you are in control even though I can't see it. Faith says, God, well, I will trust you when you do and when you don't. God, I will trust you when you say yes and when you say no. To live by faith means we trust God and God's word and God's character. Even when circumstances don't make sense, even when things don't work out the way we planned, even when the bottom falls out and we are in a season of disorientation. To live by faith means that we don't, we don't take matters into our own hands. We wait for the moed. We wait for the moed. We don't take matters on just because we're tired of waiting to live by. Faith means that we wait expectantly with hope without giving into bitterness or despair, believing that the moed, it will come to pass. Is this good news to anybody? Come on, somebody. This is good news. Matt Stevens, this is good news to you. He's nodding. He's saying amen. Now, here's what we're going to do, okay? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm almost done here. We, we are actually going to, for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what does it look like to wait on God. You know, one of the most irritating things, we, we just throw this around in the church. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you just need to wait on the Lord. What the heck do you mean by that? <laughs> we're going to explore what the Bible means when it says wait on the Lord. And I'm just going to, as, as a teaser, as an appetizer, I'm just going to do one today, okay? To wait on the Lord means that we wait obediently. And by the way, all of these beautiful metaphors and pictures in these four verses in chapter 2 give us the context for this. In verse 1, Jesus notice how Habakkuk said, I will stand at my guard post. See, if you're a watchman on duty, and remember, these ancient times, cities were surrounded by walls, and the walls had these watchtowers where watchmen took shifts to see if there are enemies coming so we could alert people to the danger. See if there are reinforcements coming so you could encourage your people. Which means that here's what you couldn't do as a watchman. You're going to say, you know, I've, I've been up here for hours, day after day, and nothing's happening. No enemy coming. So today I'm just going to check out early because I'm just tired. I'm just bored. It doesn't matter the circumstances. You can't leave your post. The city might be lost. You have to do your duty. See, Habakkuk is struggling enormously with God. You see it? He's asking hard questions to God. He's doubting even who God is. But he will not leave his post. Maybe you can relate to Habakkuk. You're weary. You're tired. You're confused about what's happening. You've experienced one disappointment after another. And God seems absent and silent. And frankly, you might not be getting anything out of your Christian walk right now. 
but you can't leave your post, Christian. Waiting on the Lord means even when you don't feel like it, you can't leave your post. You must do your duty. Yeah. And what does this look like, Peter? See, see, what happens during seasons of waiting? I'm just going to speak for myself. When there's very little activity, when God seems to happen, notice we just stop doing a lot of things that we normally do. We do. We just stop doing things we normally do. We stop reading the Bible. We stop engaging in community. We stop serving people. We stop praying. Why? Why? Because we're filled with self-pity. We're just like, this doesn't do anything for me, and I'm not getting anything out of it. Someone once wrote John Newton, the famed hymn writer of Amazing Grace, and he said, look, I'm getting nothing out of praying. And John Newton wrote him back, and he said this, I could tell you this, if you get nothing out of praying, you're going to get nothing out of not praying. If you get nothing by trying every day to go to the throne of grace, I could absolutely assure you that you'll get nothing by staying away. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. One foot in front of the other. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. You can't leave your post. You know, sometimes the power of prayer is the power to carry on. Now, it doesn't simply change your circumstances, but what it does is it gives you and me the strength to walk through the wilderness, to walk through seasons of waiting. So waiting obediently means you continue to do what you're supposed to do, but it also means that you stop doing. It also means not doing some things you know you shouldn't do. Let me just, let me just come, come up close. Look, look. You know, in a lot of, lot of the activities we participate in, a lot of things we do, it's just avoid pain. Just avoid pain. A lot of us, a lot of us are in pain right now. So deal with it. We drink. We spend hours scrolling through social media. We, we binge watch Netflix. Some of us clean. And by the way, that gives me pain. Doesn't help me avoid pain. So if cleaning's your thing, go for it. I'm talking to you, you know who. Some of us eat. Some of us have mindless, meaningless sex. Some of us will shop just so that we don't feel stuff, you know? But you know what? Avoiding pain leads to more pain. When are you going to deal with that? When am I going to deal with that? How long will I just continue to avoid pain, knowing that it's just going to lead to more pain? God says to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. Verse 19, choose life. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. God reminds you and me that every single day when you get up tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, you and I are faced daily with decisions and choices. Some of them will lead to life, life flourishing, and some of it will lead to death, relationally with God, relationally with others, and relationally with ourselves. And God says, you have a choice. Don't let the enemy convince you don't have a choice. You have a choice. Will you choose life? Will you choose death? You know, I don't even know where to begin. Begin here. 
Begin by praying, praying, saying, God, God, what am I doing? What activities am I engaging in that I'm just simply doing to avoid pain? And God, help me to choose life. Help me to choose life. And let me say something really obvious. You and I need community to do this. You and I need community to wait obediently. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. Our full season of life groups and microbes coming up. Are you a part of it? Are you a part of it? You cannot wait on the Lord by yourself. We need community to come alongside and say, don't leave your post. Don't leave your post. No matter what you do, keep going. Keep going. We're here for you. You also need community to lovingly come alongside of you and speak truth when you and I are indulging in activities just to avoid pain and lovingly say, choose life. Let me help you do that. So next week, we're going to unpack and explore what waiting means. I hope you're excited about it. Let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with a thought. Something to chew on as you're waiting in a season of waiting. As you wait and, 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 and your prayers are being delayed or, or unanswered. I'll leave you with this thought, okay? The time from Malachi to John the Baptist is called the intertestamental period. It was 400 years where there was no word from God, total silence, no word from God. God seemed completely silent as people waited and waited and waited and waited for the coming of the Messiah. And then Paul comes along and he says in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the time was right, God is always on time, moed. When time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. Now listen to this. For 400 years, people waited and waited and waited, prayed and prayed and prayed. And when God finally answered, when God finally came in the person of Jesus, everybody missed it. Why? Because the answer wasn't what they were waiting for. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we're not seeing God's answers to our prayers and our waiting because we're waiting for something else or someone else. Maybe, maybe. Do you have eyes to see God giving answers and not the answers that you're looking for. In this season of waiting, God is coming to you. God is coming to me. But are we missing him because God's giving answers and not necessarily the answers that we are looking for? Isaiah 64, 4. For since the world began, no year has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who what? Wait for him. We're going to pick this up next week. And possibly a week after that. Who knows? Because we don't mind waiting. But today, as we end the service, I want to share a story of Katie Asaza, who with Julio Asaza is serving our church and serving the Lord and the kingdom in Medellin, Colombia. And this is Katie's story of waiting 
on the Lord. I pray that you'll be blessed. Hey friends, Katie here, serving in Columbia. I'm grateful for the ways we're able to share despite the distance and um, just grateful for the time to share a little bit of my journey with you this morning. Um, so if I'm honest, and I'm sure some of you can relate, um, the days all seem to run together. <laughs> I have to think really hard to remember what day it is, uh, what month it is, um, due to the fact that we've been in mandated quarantine since the end of March. Um, July didn't really seem any different than April. <laughs> um, and the fact that we're now entering August is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> and the fact that August is probably not going to look much different than July, June, May, April, um, because we just received news that they have extended our mandated quarantine another month, um, is a little overwhelming. I must admit that when I received the news, I felt panic um, creeping in. No, let me rephrase that. I felt panic um, flooding in. We are in total quarantine right now on weekends, um, Friday through Sunday, meaning no one is allowed to go out those days. And since leaving the house isn't an option, hasn't been an option now for months, um, I've been racking my brain to try and find creative ways to engage my boys um, who are asking questions like, what are we gonna do today? How is Saturday any different than Wednesday? Um, and yes, we read, we use our creativity, we do art projects, we make cookies, we do um, puzzles, but these are things we've all been doing for four months now, um, as simply it hasn't been an option to go out. To give you a little bit of a context, right now as adults, we're able to get out uh, for exercise two hours in the morning, Monday through Thursday, and we're assigned one day a week we can go out for groceries. My day is Tuesday, and believe me, I find every possible way to savor my grocery outings on Tuesdays. Kids are still only allowed to leave their house three hours a week for a walk, and in the area where we live, that is um, restricted to Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 3.30 to 4.30. But we soak up those hours during the week that we can get out and be in God's creation. This is the reality that I am living in, and I must admit some days I handle it better than others. God has been so good to us in this time, and we recognize His provision and care. Still, the waiting for when the restrictions will let up a bit, or when we'll be able to go out for a drive as a family, or see friends, or go to a park, or when there'll be a vaccine, or when we can travel again, um, is at times overwhelming. I have been longing to be by water, to sit by a lake, to walk by a lake, to go canoeing, kayaking. It's been really hard to see pictures on social media of friends getting to do all those things. Um, it's like Psalm 42.1, which says, um, the deer pants for streams of water. As I thirst, um, for proximity to water, I thirst for God because water has always been a, a place where God has met me. Um, and I wait for the day that I can be by water again. I actually just printed out some pictures of Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, um, as something to look at and point to and say, I've been there and one day I'll return. I have been spending a lot of time over the past few months reflecting on the invitation I found in scripture and that God has been whispering to me in my quiet times the invitation to wait. Um, I've learned that one of the words used for waiting in Hebrew is kala. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait 
Kawa for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait. Kawa for the Lord. And while the word means to wait, to expect, to hope, to anticipate, it also means tension and a tightly twisted rope or cord. In the waiting, friends, there is tension. <laughs> In the waiting, it feels many days as if I am being stretched beyond my capacity. There is twisting, it implies time, and it is unhurried. Waiting in these days has often felt like I'm being twisted and stretched. But as the original meaning implies, it is in the twisting and weaving of these strands of the cord that makes it strong and tight. I was encouraged by Pastor Peter's words, reminding me to think of it as when I wait on God, God is winding himself around me and I wind myself tightly around God. Waiting is not wasting, waiting is transformative. I could only shake my head in awe when a couple months ago, Pastor Peter uh, in his sermon focused on waiting and confirmed everything I had been reading, learning, and living into. It's not easy, but I am reminded that it is knowing that even when all seems unknown and chaotic, God is trustworthy and faithful and I can wait trusting that God is in control. I hope not in my circumstances, but in Jesus. It is the confidence that just as the sun rises and night fades, so God is present and faithful and will respond. Psalm 135 through six says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning more than the watchmen wait for the morning. And so we find ways to be present in the waiting. The other day it was taking a walk up a different path and seeing a different view, marveling at God's creation from our own back patio, having lunch out here together, throwing the football around, having conversations with friends over Zoom and FaceTime, um, being able to support families in need by giving um, things and food, uh, by connecting to webinars, leading online classes, even setting up a tent and camping in the garage. Friends, I'm ready for a change. I am ready for quarantine to be lifted. I feel the strain not only on myself, but on our children as they aren't able to see friends, to get in a car to go anywhere, to walk to the store to buy a snack as all their days run together too. The tension is real. The longing for change is real. I don't know when it will come, and that is hard. For someone who likes to plan and have just a little bit of control, it is frustrating. It's hard to see how deeply this is affecting people around me, the way they live their daily lives, the ability to provide food for their families. Um, and it is a daily challenge to myself to not give up hope, but to continue to wait actively on God. Some days the waiting is more hopeful than others, some days it is really raw and filled with tears. Still, I am convinced that God is the one extending the invitation to wait. And so friends, my question is, how is God inviting you to wait? What does waiting look like for you? I may not remember what day or week or month it is, but I do remember that God is loving and faithful and I hold on to that. Psalm 130 verse seven says, Israel, 
put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. Amen.